Hello everyone and welcome to our fourth and final Cold Chain Leader interview in 2020. I'm Shane Brennan, Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. Today I'm joined by Stephen Lawrence, founder and CEO of both the ISEC Group and Magnavale. I'm really excited to bring you today's conversation. I'm sure it will really round off a series of insights into the future of Cold Chain. Stephen, welcome to Cold Chain Live. Thank you, Shane. I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are with numerous interests, not only within the UK cold chain, but what I really want us to explore together is the role of the property and investment industry in shaping the future of the cold chain. And I don't think there's anyone better for that than, than yourself. Um, as you know, our theme is, is, to, is towards net zero. And one thing I know for sure is if that goal is achievable at all, it will only be achievable if property businesses like yours see reason to invest in the infrastructure, building and technologies that will make it possible. Um, but before we get into sort of that, probably best starting at the beginning, um, can you talk about how you got into the UK cold chain? I got into UK cold chain back in 2011. I bought uh, a company uh, that uh, ND at the time was selling, which was the Old Christian Salverson business. And we they sold us a number of uh, sale and leasebacks um, in the cold store area. Um, I did a lot of research at the time, uh, and as a consequence, uh, thought there was an opportunity in the cold store market for both investment and operational side, um, which I've been invested in since, I say, 2011. Um, it's, 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 it probably hasn't changed as quickly as I anticipated it would do, um, but it is, it is changing at a real rapid rate today. Um, Due to as in the areas which you've talked about, really, which is um, which is you know uh, net zero positioning um, and basically number of buildings becoming obsolete in terms of what what the market requires in terms of size, efficiency, etc. Yeah, I mean one one thing is obviously you came in to so bought the bought the, the 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 properties and actually you've developed the Magnaval Group, which is now a pretty significant player in the UK market and as an operating and trading business. Was that really part of the plan? Yeah, when we bought this, we bought a number of properties which were actually vacant at the time, which were uh, the company that went bust, Innovate, uh, and there was a number of different property owners that had owned risk uh, real estate. And we've initially we bought them with a view of just trying to keep them operational and reducing things like rates and cost of uh, keeping them vacant. Uh, but the the objective was that we thought that there was an undervalue in the cold store industry um, and we also thought that the a number of the different buildings which were being operated were would, would become redundant uh, through things you know being too small wrong gases being just the age of the buildings i mean some of the buildings go date back to the 70s when they had the the butter and cheese mountains and they used to freeze them um, there's still a number of buildings which are just being held together by ice, but uh, yeah, so that we thought that we thought that it would um, come become uh, turn down quicker, but it's now 2020 and it, it, we've got to that kind of watershed position. But there's a lot of investment money, isn't there? I mean, just in the general spend, you know, with the Americans, um, you know, with the, with the lineage in America, global race for space, it seems to be a bit of a, bit of a sort of a nice bubble of, of interest right now. What do you think are the main drivers of that? Well, the main drivers in most real estate investment is uh, is kind of yield and where they see the market. Um, the 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 cold store market is both um, is has got a higher yield than just general uh, general warehouses 
and a number of other different sectors. So I think there's, I think that the the drive is is fundamentally yield, but private equity and property businesses like thematics. I mean, thematics is the big word. Why is the thematic important? How does that? What? What? Why does that sort of come as the as as important to an investment decision making in these sorts of companies? People like to like to control a whole market or see where there's a, a whole market. I mean, you've seen the number of private equity, whether it's in retail warehousing, whether it's in retail, whether it's in offices, whether it's in uh, warehouses, last mile logistics, everything's a, everything's a thematic in terms of what investors want to see because they want to see the growth. They want to see a sizable investment in that and they want to be able to see that they can actually change a marketplace. Uh, so, yeah, that that's the... Uh, that's the big change. Yeah, and I guess you were kind of already doing that before we saw the sort of the American kind of entry into the UK. And I guess is that sort of same similar motivation for you in how you see in how you see it? Yeah, I think it was. And I mean, as you've probably seen the similar position in the first wave of private equity investing in both agro merchants and new cold. I mean, yeah. they're probably at the same kind of time. Um, yeah. They've, they've invested in the same kind of concept. They're, they're the first to market. They've seen the opportunity, and they've invested heavily in both those two those two operations. Um, you know, there there are there are mistakes. There are in any kind of first to market, you're always going to make mistakes, and you and you probably believe things are going to happen quicker than they actually do. But uh, you know, when these things take off, they take off in a very large way, which you've as you've seen with Americold and Lineage and Nishirai, you know, you've seen those, those, them really pushing the envelope in this kind of investor institutional interest. Obviously, I mean, you and I have spoken before, and and I'm very, you've got some very clear views around where the strengths and weaknesses are of the current UK cold chain. How would you sort of characterise it? The strengths are, and the the strengths and weaknesses are probably the same, really, in the sense that you know the UK is. Um, it's, it's an island, so it's an internal demand. There's no threat from other countries. Um, we've got the added position of Brexit. We've got the added position that uh, there's a limited supply of pallet spaces. And, and I think we've got to a point now in the end of the year, so from August to December, we've virtually got a, we've got 100% occupancy in virtually every cold store in the UK. Um, and obviously, the way food is comes into the country, it's not always, it's not 100% occupied from January to to June, not in every single cold store, but generally it's, it's I would say we're 100% occupied. Um, there's, there's now uh, big opportunities in terms of there's an obsolescent stock and talked about, you know, 1970s buildings still trading where there's virtually no warehouses that haven't been reclad, re-altered, re done since the 1970s but in cold store industry there is which is quite a bizarre position and uh, shows the lack of investment over a number of years um there's obviously changes in clients requirements um this net zero cold chain position gives uh, ch changes and also i think the changes in the location requirements of cold stores because over the last 40 50 years what was deemed to be the right location 40, 50 years ago may not be right today because difference in difference in uh, delivering for the last mile solutions, differences in terms of how it goes to numbers of retailers, differences in just the whole the whole industry of transportation. Um, 
And a lot of these buildings, as I say, are, are just a lot of the old stores are just too small. They're just not economic, really economical to run, and they will become they'll become obsolete definitely in the next five years. And if you look across the piece, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of projects at least being dis discussed in terms of development. Whether we see all of them coming to fruition, obviously, is a, always a different point. But fundamentally, we're talking about a lot of space potentially coming down in the UK market. And do you think that the confidence there is that space for all of there is the space in the market for all of that space? Um, or actually, you know, there'll be some. How do you think that will play out? Well, my my view is there's half a million half a million pallet. If there's if there's circa two and a half million spaces of pallet spaces in the UK market. There's about half a million pallet spaces to come out over the next five years. And at the moment, there's half a million spaces that have either got consent or near getting consent to build. Um, the, in addition to the half a million spaces already due to come out, there's probably at least another half a million of spaces that are, are, are not right for the long term in, in, this, in this industry. So I think there's further, there is going to be further development. What's been the what's been the barrier to entry really is that the the value <laughs> the end value of uh, the buildings, i.e., and what it can be rented out as per pallet per week for for the storage, doesn't doesn't match what it costs to build. So um, we've either seen we've either seen buildings that have been built, which actually after being built are worth less than what they would have been if they weren't built. Um, so we've seen that in a few, a number of small, smaller cold stores, you know, family-owned operations, which have done. And on the large, on the, some of the larger operations, I think I'm not sure whether the investment into some of the uh, the buildings are long have been really thought through for 25 to 40 years of 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 running i don't think they've been fully specified to the right level that worries me actually i some sort of coming in from the point of view of the leader of the cold chain federation is are we building the right stuff you know have have we started i think historically the answer to that has been no i think i'm more optimistic about what's coming now um but even then in terms of the technologies that we're going to adopt in terms of the building standards we're going to follow i don't mean by any means they're going to be substandard from a building regulations point of view but from the point of view of being fit for purpose for this kind of net zero ambition or this kind of, of what's going to be required of us in the next 20 30 years as a supply chain do you think there's a kind of where do you think we are in terms of that do you think we're we've got the right kind of mindset around what we're going to build and the quality and and, and purpose well i can't talk for everybody else yeah. but i do see that this i do see that the i think the whole uh, warehousing or the whole uh, logistics industry is as a is as a change um generally built in the logistics industry, uh, kind of 10, 12 meter warehouses that have been spec built for occupiers. And the, probably the same is true for cold storage because people have built stores which are not really thought through for the operation and not really thought through to um, maximize or minimize uh, energy, maximize efficiency, stop things which don't, you know, don't necessarily you know, reduce maintenance. They've they've just thought as what creates the right value because they've been trying to um, try to get it valued and try to get it in relation to raising cash. Um, I think the change in the marketplace in regards to financing and the change in the marketplace with regard to rates and long-term requirements for uh, companies to be uh, to 
have their whole supply chain tied in with this whole you know this whole part is going to be is 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 the change and i think we we, we will see more purpose-built um long long valued buildings built um you've seen that in the the non-cold store industry over the last five years where the drive towards online has made far more efficiency in terms of the way these buildings have been built for the amount, the amount of turn in buildings to you know how things are stored how things are automated all of this is is, is this is really critical so you've seen that and, that I'm, and i believe the same is going to be true on the cold store industry um i think you'll see far more automation i think you'll see far far these buildings being used far more aggressively i.e they're going to be in and out there's going to be a lot of added value to these in these buildings i mean the building that we're looking at to put into thames enterprise park which is next to dp world which you're aware of shane is um is 150,000 pallets but in addition to the 150,000 pallets there's um, 500,000 square feet of uh, cross stock added value other processing which will sit alongside it which is which is in, in enormous I, guess, I, I think that's probably where the game change relevant as it comes from what you've what you've what you're talking about in terms of that that development idea the kind of the high concept behind that is really quite exciting isn't it because it's about it's about sort of rethinking how we actually do the supply chain so right taking touch points out of the market i mean i don't want to paraphrase it but words in your mouth but that's really where you're where you see the opportunity the location of this particular uh, site is is unique in europe um because i don't there's not another site i'm aware of definitely not another cold store that has a port a, tr a rail track uh, the m25 and of course the biggest market in the uk or if not the biggest market in europe so those it, it is a unique a unique location um and the ability to build to 48 meters high is again in terms of anywhere you know getting a consent for a building of that size in in on the outskirts of the m25 is a unique uh is you know there's very few places you could actually build such a building um, so it would require a bit of a change of mindset, though, wouldn't it? In terms of kind of, this is one of the problems a bit with with any industry and logistics, probably as much as any, is this thinking about the way you've done things in the past, and rather than and, and in terms of compared to how you do them now. So that kind of point to point primary distribution, secondary distribution, moving between them on a small island kind of model that we have in our mindset. What you're proposing actually is about bringing that all under one roof. Do you sort of see that? Do you see the demand for that and the awareness of the opportunity of that coming through in the sort of potential customer base? Uh, well, the discussions we've had with the main, some of the main parties is, is, is they understand it very easily. I mean, it's not thing. There is there is resistance from some some of the big parties, and I think mostly it's because of the way the procurement is done. Because you have somebody that deals with transport, and then you have somebody that deals with logistics, and you have somebody that deals with processing. And you have somebody deals with packaging, and they've all got the title director in front of their name, and actually bringing that together and say, by the way, actually we can bring it under one roof, and by the way, that's that takes away four touches, which in itself, you know, is is probably uh, 25, 30 pounds of pallet 
during that period, ignoring other other costs, is just enormous. And but you know, it's it's um, that's the, that's the variance. But it's it's the modern clever people grasp it very very quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's the early adopters and those that are sort of you know, you, and you see it in the market now. You know, when it's close to customer, when it's I don't know, everyone talks about Ocado, but you know, the way they're revolutionising the way you see that part of supply chain. It, it, the early adopters are the ones that I think there is enough willingness to sort of look for this sort of stuff now. We're in a, we are in a sort of phase change in how people see logistics, and we are looking at sort of game-changing innovation. So I think that's um, that really really fits well. And I think the net zero thing is the really you know what you're referring to, and that it's a bit like the smoking ban. You know, we actually all of us that were slightly older than yourself, Shane, is you know you grew up and I don't smoke, but every you know, to think that there wasn't going to be smoking, smoking on trains or planes was unrealistic. And then not to have smoking in pubs would, to me, just would seem impossible. But yeah. literally turned on one day and said, there's no smoking on pubs and everybody adopted it and they adopted it worldwide, which is pretty amazing, really. And I think we're virtually, at the, we're at the same position um, and, and you've got the same change in terms of, the views on things like drinking and driving, you know, where you wouldn't have, you would, you know, back in the seventies, it wasn't viewed that 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 same way. Whereas today, you know, it's it's socially unacceptable, and soon it's going to be socially unacceptable to have wasted wasted food miles, um, and congestion, and pollution, and all the other things that go go with these things. One of the things that I of sort of very clear to me is a risk. We talk a lot about sort of whether industry and government understand each other on this sort of stuff in terms of regulation and burdens. We obviously tend to go there first, but actually is the industry understanding each other in terms of how it's looking at the issue? So I think you've talked there, you know, in terms of these sort of new, these investments coming in, the, the business case for, 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 for making investments in very new and sophisticated um, infrastructure, new buildings and the like, that requires the customer to go with you and understand, understand the long-term long-term objective and I guess when it comes to our kind of the the retail customers and the manufacturing customers of the cold chain um, getting them to really value the net zero opportunity or the environmental opportunities of being more efficient within their sort of more hidden elements of their supply chain is a big challenge to get over do you feel like there is a pro proper awareness in their customers about the potential to take four touches out of their, out of their supply chain as part of their uh, achieving their environmental goals or have they got there yet in their mindset do you think as I say, I think some some do and some don't. Um, I think at the end of the day, most of this is going to be driven by money. You know, if taking four four touches out makes a considerable saving, that's what's going to drive it because economics usually usually win over. So, um, and if if reducing the amount of carbon out of your supply chain reduces cost, again, that will that will that will affect that will affect people's decisions. At the moment, that's not the case. But, you know, they're talking about like the map sugar and salt being added to and calories in terms of food. If they put this was the amount of electricity used or this was the amount of wasted miles, it's the kind of name and shame position. And it's also how it's how's it put forwards. I mean, there's a big there's a big drive now in terms of not use non use of plastics, um, as I say, congestion. Uh, the whole thing is 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 really key. And then if you get over that sort of mental shift of the idea of putting more stuff close together rather than moving a lot around the country, which is kind of the historical model, then you create the opportunity for that kind of thing and that kind of mindset of how to run the supply chain, the food supply chain in particular. Well, the 
the supply chain or the supply the supply chain industry works around clustering. I mean, you know, if you're if you're in if you're in the logistics supply chain, everybody is talking about clustering, whether it's labour supply, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, buildings, whether it's engineering. All these things work better with work better in a cluster. Um, and I think food as a cluster is 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 something that works really really well. I mean, you see market clusters in, historically in terms of the cold chain environment. Um, we've got a similar position. Uh, I mean, as you know, in in East London, they are they were moving out of central London into East London, the all of the markets, and we're looking at we're looking at the supply to those markets and supply to those customers where you don't need to uh, you don't need to go into a market because a lot of the supply a lot of the end users don't buy from the market they actually buy through a market person but they don't buy their sides of beef through through the market they don't go down in the van it's you know it's delivered to the restaurant from from a from the party so i think we're looking at the storage element of that market i think i think it's a really powerful point actually that idea of clustering because we're publishing um, a map of the uk cold chain this week as part of cold chain live and yeah. you can see the historic cluster you know the seafood cluster and the sort of agricultural cluster and the sort of near near farm um, which go back to your point from the beginning which is you know cold stores built out of the intervention era and basically being close to close to the point of production really this innovation is about bringing the point of consolidation close to the consumer isn't it i think cold stores and, and most of logistics is 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 the same property as the same as the, every other bits of property. It's location, 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 because in the cold store industry, the cold cold store storage is actually relatively cheap compared to transport. So every mile that you're taking off it, you know, it makes it more 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 economical. Um, so. You've seen those clusters. I don't necessarily think. I think those clusters still remain, but you've seen what you've seen over the last, you know, 20 years is is clustering around uh, kind of ports or port areas. Specifically, I think you're going to see it more in regard to Thames Gateway, particularly because you because of the proximity to London. Um, at the moment. As you, as you, as I think, I think 80% of the reefer traffic already comes through DP World, so at Thames Gateway. So you know the cold store industry is already supplied through. This is, is this is the, you know, port of entry. So putting in um, a cold store at the port of entry, and also the port of exit, because if you're doing export, again, the ability to overload. Con containers out to wherever country is actually hugely valuable. Obviously, we've had COVID and we've, had, and we've got Brexit, two sort of very short-term, but quite fundamentally big economic events that are happening. How do you sort of see those playing out into the sort of decision-making, in terms of your own decision-making, but generally how you see the cold chain sort of progresses? Does it factor at all in the long-term plan or is it, or, it, um, or is it something that actually means we have to sort of look at the course we, we were taking Particularly for COVID, I, I think the course is pretty much the same as what we'd already thought. I mean, what what COVID has done is accelerated the requirements of uh, bigger companies taking control of their kind of their whole supply chain. So I think you're seeing people with longer uh, thinking about the longer supply chain and storing more. 
as a consequence to that, they're having to think how, what is the long term of their storage and they can't be let down at the last minute uh, because as to 100% full, then you, you, you have limited options. And as I say, the cost of distribution means that you can't just have some space in Scotland and some space in London and think you're going to bring it all together because it's going to cost you more money than having space in London that costs five, three times more money. COVID has escalated it and made it, made it quicker. Brexit is a bit of an unknown, as we, are, we all know, because I think the biggest thing in the cold chain position is the difference with, is what happens with chilled. Because if the chilled supply is affected from the near continent because effectively different customs change that over the next 12 months in any guise, and it reduces the shelf life of chilled product, then product probably a lot of the product won't come in chilled. It'll come in frozen, and it then they'll require a completely different process. Um, at the moment, that's not the case. You know, there's a lot of product that comes through Dover. Yeah. Um, a lot of product that comes in through Liverpool from from Ireland, and uh, that whole process could be completely changed overnight. Um, or it may be changed. It may be changed over a number of years as the government, as government, to try to come up with solutions that don't don't may, may mean that there is a complete have to be a complete change overnight. Because you know, changing whether it's it comes in fresh or comes in frozen, then it's then it's organised is is completely different. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I you know, as you know, I spent two years in the role, and from day one, all I would get asked about is stockpiling and is stockpiling as a solution to 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 the problems on the shelf and have to deal with Brexit and, and what have you. But what became clear to me pretty much in the first couple of weeks was stockpiling is one, is an important tactic and it's, you say, longer supply chains and it's part of the, the mix. But fundamentally, it's about rethinking how you get your supplies in and think about where it comes into the country from. And the short straights there are going to be significant. Some of the advantages of the short straights are not going to be there post-Brexit. That's almost pretty clear now. So actually, yeah. those alternative routes, people are looking at differently. Unaccompanied carriage, whether it's load on, load off, or whether it's unaccompanied trailers, these sorts of things become probably more, more of, of the route into the market than they have been historically. And I guess overlaying that with a, with a, with a view about the sustainability of the route you're, you're choosing for your product, because the consumer's more interested, arguably, all plays into that kind of ecosystem. Um, just sort of, sort of, sort of some final thoughts, really, Stephen, from you. I mean, um, you've you've got some some big projects underway. What's your sort of prognosis for the sort of future, the short-term future of the cold chain? What what sort of the key things you think we're going to we're going to see from this industry in the next two to three years? Well, I think, I th as I say, I think you would find uh, a, a hell of a lot more investment into into uh, the right buildings. I mean, our plan is to completely revolutionize it, even our existing buildings. So we've got new plant going into it. We've got new fire safety going into them. Um, we've got new we've got new developments being added to the size to make them more efficient. We've got uh, whole new processes. So you know, I've got a I've got a digital team team working alongside their actual operational management team. To kind of digitally twinning everything from you know moving a box from A to moving the box to B and all the different forklifts to try and try and look at the efficiencies um, to try and take out um, 
costs and take but also taking out you know wasted areas of carbon or waste of areas of plastics and everything else that goes with it so that's 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 really key um but the, the whole use of um computing ai automation is all is all, all part of the same all part of the same tools really yeah and, and and i think that that's one of the themes of this cold chain live event has been this idea that it's as much about the, the digital tools the data gathering and those are some of the keys to achieving net zero in our market in supply chain generally and particularly in cold chain and something that it's really encouraging to see that's coming through in what you're what you're what you're talking about i guess we're also looking at things like you know electricity procurement whether it's waste of energy or use through wind farms or you know one of the one of the positions now is to um which is only just coming into play is to be able to um overcool if you've got the right equipment in the unit that's that's the fundamental which is why we're having to change all our compressors so we can overcool units and buy electricity at cheap prices when it's been generated by wind um, or solar or whatever it's going to be so that we can actually we can act like a battery to the grid as a whole those sorts of innovations have really come through for the course of this this, this event through the whole course of cold chain Live. we've been hearing about some of these sort of technological ways that that can really make a difference to uh to to, to and is there any, that point you've made that point about cost cost being the key to unlocking the 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 confidence of the customer and the confidence of the investor to uh, to, to make the whatever the right choices are in inverted commas when it comes to moving towards net zero yeah um, Stephen, thank you so much for your time and i really appreciate you for talking us through it's really fascinating to sort of get your take on on where we're heading with this it tells where we are from here so cold chain live if you're watching this in the week of the release then please join us for our workshop on these issues on 11 a.m on friday 23rd of october we'll be hearing some other great experts on how the cold chain ecosystem can adapt to the challenge of net zero and if not and you're interested in some of the other great content we've uh, shared throughout this cold chain live series please go to the cold chain federation website and you'll follow the links for other great content but for now thanks very much and um, we look forward to talking more mm -hmm.